Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On episode four, I speak with James Casey, Vice President of Partner Engineering at Chef Software. We talk about how automation and the adoption of cloud is changing the way that people work. So good morning, James. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for joining um, Coffee and Change. Um, I wanted to start, if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Sure, of course, Bill. Uh, so I am VP of Partner Engineering at Chef Software. Um, Chef is an automation company. Um, we started out in the realm of configuration management, so how do you configure your hardware fleet inside a data center. Okay. We started nine years ago and really um, grew with a bunch of the early cloud adopters. Mm-hmm. Uh, our customers then, we began to pick up a lot more Fortune 500 customers, um, and they were working in their data center. Right. So we repurposed our products, and we looked at how do you configure at very large scale in the data center. So up to 10,000, 20,000, up to 100,000 machines. Okay. So how do you make sure that the right software and applications are running there? Um, and how do you make sure that you can really get your developers to work quickly and efficiently? Okay. Uh, recently, we've seen a big move where all of those enterprises who were in the data center are now moving back to the cloud again. Yeah. So we have sort of seen this whole cycle from starting with the early adopters in the cloud, take some of those principles into large enterprises in their data center, and then follow them on their journey back okay. to the cloud. Right. Um, I run our partner engineering team okay. where I work with our large cloud providers like Amazon, like Google, mm-hmm. like Microsoft, along with sort of all of our technical partners who do integrations into our platform. Okay. So for those folks that are listening, um, you said the word automation. Yeah. And there's a lot, of, I, think, I think there's a lot of articles that I'm reading that my co- you know, coworkers are reading that you're probably seeing as well. Break it down for us a little bit. For somebody who doesn't necessarily get to be as close to um, the type of work you do or uh, even the kind of work I see in, in, in my role in IT consulting, how would you explain automation and the kind of work you do? If somebody were to say, um, so, so why chef? Or um, what's, what are the things that I should be thinking about making the journey to the cloud? Yeah. I think, I think the first thing about automation is that, that automation... As always, there are only so many words and yes. so many ideas. Right. So I think there's sort of definitely the one area of automation that we sit in, mm-hmm. it's not the level of automation of robots driving cars right. and and that. Yeah. But it, it holds a lot of the same basic principles. Okay. I think as as I so so my background is is as a software engineer and operations person and you know, I spent a lot of time operating very, very large fleets mm-hmm. of machines before Chef. And we used to say that one administrator could manage somewhere between 100 to 1,000 machines, depending on the level of automation. So if every time you need to apply a new software patch or make a change, do a change request, and you have to do it manually, probably where you're going to reach is maybe 10 to 100 machines. And you'll start scripting around that. You'll start building your own tools so that when you want to patch 10 machines, you can do them with the same effort as one machine. Right. And really, that's automation. Okay. So, and, and you sort of have that very, very base level. You go from, I do everything manually on the keyboard on the individual machines myself. 
to I write some scripts and some tools around that to help me do it okay. to I use an automation product which basically builds in these ideas represent what you want to do in such a way that it's easy and efficient and scalable for the machines to update themselves according to the policies okay. that you do so so a lot of it is transforming from sort of a run book approach I go and do this to I express some policy mm-hmm. and then have an automation engine that brings those machines into the state that your policy has set. They need to be in. So as an example, I I use both a Mac and a PC. Mm -hmm. So an example that people might be listening that they could understand is when when your Mac or your PC says, hey, you need these updates. Right. It's going out, it's checking a policy of some sort, and it's saying your your existing system is actually not up to policy or not in accordance with. So it's running a script that might be done and all of that, if you think about it being done for every customer using these machines, that's millions upon millions right. upon millions. Okay, exactly. So that's an example that people might have every day with automation yeah. and script. Okay, And it's all about thinking about that higher level. What yeah. your intent there was, my machine should be fully patched to the latest secure level. Right. Not I should have package A, B, and C. Correct. So the way that you can scale mm-hmm. is that you think at a higher level. Okay. I want to be running my company's application across 10,000 machines and the latest version should be running everywhere. I want it to auto scale and grow as my customers grow. So you express at least higher level and you don't worry so much about the details and that gets packaged away in software. So it can react and respond appropriately. So you also talked a lot about how that has changed the way people do their jobs. So you described that someone who was a... um, and I'll use the word system administrator. Mm-hmm. That may not be uh, all inclusive, but used to do used to be in charge of maybe a, a ten to a hundred machines. Um, this is obviously changing changing the mm-hmm. the workforce, changing the way people work. So tell me a little bit about in the work that you do and the work that you see. Um, two things: one is obviously it's changing the the, the type of work being done, mm-hmm. and then two, I'd love to hear from you in terms of the types of people that you're bringing on. Um, in the sort of, you know, I read a book a while back was about the work, the workplace in 2020, and it seems like a long ways away, and it's not that long. So tell me a little bit about how the work is changing and then how the talent you're bringing in to do the work is changing. Well, I think the, the, the work is changing in a couple of different ways. You, you mentioned system administrator. The yeah. traditional system administrator role is changing yeah. and then sometimes disappearing okay. and being shifted. You know, the industry's growing mm-hmm. and very fast, and the way that we deal with things is changing as well. So, so as we talk about agile methodologies in software, yeah. um, in, in sort of operations, we have DevOps. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> came from a portmanteau of developer and operations, but really what it began to say was break down the barriers between the people writing your product and the people operating and running your product. Okay. So bring them together. It used to be a wall. It used to be a wall. Exactly. So, so, you know, like, like I as a software developer would have written my product often on my laptop, on my local development machines and thrown it over the wall into production. And the infrastructure and production looked remarkably different. Yeah. And it was no longer my responsibility to make it work. Right. You know, traditionally we would say developers get incentivized and rewarded for the number of new features that they deliver. Mm-hmm. System administrators get rewarded on the stability of the system. So you have risk averse versus risk 
full yeah. because because that's the balance. So 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 you had this wall and this tension between them. So what what really has been happening initially among these sort of small agile cloud friendly companies now into the enterprise is break down those walls. Yeah, bring the two teams together, and this changes the nature of work and the nature yeah. of people. Absolutely. So what we see often is more generalists. Mm-hmm. What we see is more. Um, multi-skilled teams working together. Okay. So developers know enough operations, operations. If they use an automation toolkit, they essentially sort of start to become developers. They write yeah. code. Right. So this concept of infrastructure as code. Treat your infrastructure just as another part of your product yeah. and not separate. This is, again, this sort of core DevOps. Why should you describe your infrastructure in one way and describe your code and your product in a different sure. way? Yeah. Treat it all the same. So it's, I mean, that's a huge culture change. Yeah. Um, And you talked about the operations and the developers, and as you were talking about it, sort of breaking those walls down. I mean, that that alone, breaking down the silos, is a tremendous amount of work. And the other thing that I'm curious about is, um, and I kind of fall into this category, where I might have been more of a business user, but because of the excitement around cloud and the excitement around automation and DevOps, uh, as a business user, I, try, I want to understand a little bit more about how things are happening and keep, keep pace, essentially. It's changed my conversations with technology mm-hmm. people. It's changed my conversations with developers. To your point around, well, I no longer just wait for something to be thrown over the wall. I actually say, this is what I need. Or if yes. you do throw something over the wall to me, I say, it doesn't quite meet my needs. Can you go back and do this? Are you seeing those conversations change Obviously, in the in the um, in the channel partners discussions, but but also in your work, I think we are. You know, it's traditionally it's very hard to pull engineers out of their work and go talk to customers. Yeah, you know, I think this is an eternal challenge because yeah. it's such a different skill set, it's a, such a different pace, and it sort of breaks that flow. Yeah. that they're in of producing features, of working in a sprint, of being deep into the product. And, and so, so I think it's always a challenge to get developers to talk more. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say that the role that I'm in and the way that I like the role that I'm in is that we end up talking to both sides all the time. We right. have to talk to the developers, we have to talk to the partners, we have to talk to the customers and yeah. the standard needs. Um, I think what you're really talking about here is the, the, the logical extension of DevOps. And I think that's why the word is not great, because yeah. while it brings two groups together, it now excludes everybody else. And it's still two different words being brought together. Exactly. So it's not so quite people, that. So people start talking about dev biz sec ops and try and, <laughs> okay. you know, bring in more. But but the idea is that, that the, the, the intent behind DevOps and the movement and the and the techniques was to bring everybody together in a single multi-purpose team focused on the business needs. Yeah. And I think that, that what you see if that's successful is that the developers do care about the business outcomes. Yeah. Because... That's now what they're measured on. The whole sure. team is measured on, is this a successful product for our users? Right. Did we do it faster? Did we add more value? Mm-hmm. Um, often those conversations are clumsy yes. because, <laughs> because developers, you know, they're learning. I mean, right. this is still very new. Mm-hmm. You can't really say, I'm a 10-year DevOps professional. I've been doing this. You know, and, and everybody's viewpoints are so different. Yeah. But I think that sort of stimulates interesting conversations. Yeah. You know, actually, when you... When you, when you come into these conversations and you realize um, the gaps that people have, you know, it's a time to communicate and talk about, oh, okay, you don't actually, you know, I would take the example, like I, I, I came from an engineering background, moved into partners. 
for the first six months, I couldn't work out what an ISV versus an SI versus an MSP versus right. a CSP. And, and just realized it was this team working really close to me who had a completely different vernacular. Yeah. So now when I go talk to the developers and I've now absorbed into this world, I always have to think, okay, so what I'm talking about is a technical partner who builds on our platform. That's, you know, and, yeah. and so you end up spreading that information, communicating more, yeah. which then makes the, them be able to make the decisions sure. and, and, and have the context to make their decisions yeah. on their own, which is exactly what you're trying to promote. So I think it's always useful when you think about things like DevOps or Agile or Change, what was the original intent? Mm -hmm. Was the intent to get people in workshops yes. to talk? Right. Or was the intent to make them work as a team better together? And how do you continually bring them back to that? Yeah. I think <clears throat> you're, you're making a really valid point around intent versus what I always talk about was just impact. Mm. So great intentions... Um, oftentimes go a little bit awry on the impact when you bring people together, as you're saying, that have different in incentives, right. um, different language. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't stress that enough. You just kind of talk through a whole bunch of acronyms that you and I might know, but somebody else steps in and, and immediately that person feels behind, mm -hmm. right? So we're, we're moving faster. We're taking on challenges. We all get in the room together. We have this workshop, but I feel behind because there's three acronyms that somebody put on the table that I don't know, and we're moving so fast that I don't have the ability to say, I don't know what that is. Can yeah. we take a time out and, and learn that? Um, so I do, I think the language piece is really, really important and not one I hear people talk about a mm -hmm. lot, um, the power of words and the power mm -hmm. of language, especially with how quickly things are, things are going. I'm curious also from the standpoint of, you know, we, we use, um, we use our phones and our apps mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. And, you know, these get updated often, right? We know that um, the, the the frequent ones have like weekly pushes and things like that. What do you think is is the right mix of change in terms of all of this automation, in terms of the updates, the pushes, um, for push versus pull? We're seeing a lot of that in the workplace as well. Um, any thoughts on that? That that in in your work that you see. Yeah, you know, I think the web innovator, so people like Yahoo, people like Facebook, really developed a great set of practices around this. So, you know, when we look at this, there's a bunch of techniques like continuous delivery. Yeah. You know, and, and, and things like continuous delivery is really about removing the, the gaps in your supply chain mm -hmm. from developer to product. Mm -hmm. So how do you go from the developer writing something um, at his workstation to shipping and production. Right. And the really important idea here is that you should have the potential to ship at any point in time. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're going to ship at any point in time, you should but you should ability. have the potential. So I think this comes back to your intent and impact. Yeah. You know, if you begin to think every decision you make, will this stop me being able to just roll an update whenever I need to? Yeah. For instance, a manual process. Do I need a manual approver? Or is there some way that I can automate that approval against the policies that I cared about? Right. So that I'm not blocking if somebody can't hit the button. Yeah. So so I think there's a like like things like that are very important. Yahoo, you know, I think famously stood up at Velocity, it's probably what, 2009, 2010, and they talked about how they did twenty to thirty product ships a day and everybody went we do one every six months right now that's the norm correct but actually what you want is potential for 20 to 30 product mm -hmm. ships a day right and then you decide when mm -hmm. um anecdotally i always think so you know whenever i see 
a customer. So, so we work with lots of very mission critical customers. And whenever I see, you know, in the news, X has had an outage. Yeah. My first mind is always, oh no, did we like make them ship something too early? Right. You know, yeah. like like there we is push this. Them too. The, yeah. you, but you're always on this fine line. So, so a they need the they need the ability to ship at any time because if something does go wrong, we can always ship a new update. Right. And then, you know, they, they, as, as people have began to deal with larger and larger fleets, so, you know, like a large company like that, a phone provider has got, you know, 250 million yeah. things are updating. Yeah. So, so you need points. the metrics, you need the feedback loop. Yeah. So, so that when you do roll out, you roll out a small change, you have a look, is it working well? You yeah. automate the rollout, you automate the rollout. Okay. So, so I think like the, the more, Information and telemetry you can get back, yeah. combined with the potential to ship something quickly, are the underlying techniques you need. Yeah. And sort of this, this is at a technical level and also a cultural level. Yep. So you know you have to put this across your company so that you know um, uh, that you can also take that risk. Because you know, if you take a risk and put a bad out, update out after one percent of the fleet is out, you know you can roll it back. Absolutely, you yeah. know you can put out a new version. So yeah. that so that allows you to move faster. Yeah, you know, um, John Allspall, um, who worked at Etsy at the time, mm-hmm. I remember seeing him again three or four years ago, and uh, and the, the, he brought in a lot of sort of human factors ideas. Mm-hmm. So from industry into software and operations. And, and one quote that stuck with me all the time is, whenever an operations person hits that button that brings something down, the Amazon S3 example recently, right. yeah. somebody Very ran recently. a script and something, he brought down all of Amazon. The part of his brain that wrote that script and that made him think that it was okay to hit that button was the exact same part of his brain that all his other code came from. Yeah. It's not like suddenly right. some other mechanism switched Turned in on. and he did something wrong. No. So, so what we have to do is allow experimentation. Yeah, and learn and, from failure. And allow for failure. Yeah. And put the systems in place so that failure is safe yes. and that we can recover from And it. that you can roll back and exactly. push. Right, okay. Yeah. I think um, just one last thing to, to ask you about uh, before we kind of wrap up. The, um, thinking about the, the leaders that are charged with a mm-hmm. lot of this. So <clears throat> you mentioned DevOps hasn't been around super long time. Agile hasn't been around a super long time. And a lot, of, a lot of meetings I have, there are leaders that will say, just tell me what the answer is. Just point me to the textbook. This textbook hasn't been written, or it's being rewritten, as we just described, or, or pushes are being done. If you were to sit with a CEO, a CIO, a CFO, a CTO, basically C-suite, and they were saying, I'm having a hard time with my fill-in workforce getting there. I've given them the tools. I've given them the coaches. I've given them the software. I've put them in the cloud. We're still not there. Um, what would you tell them to kind of focus on or, or, or take... Um, take the first steps in, in, in looking at. I, I think, again, they need to keep reinforcing the message. Why are they doing this? Okay. Many of the successful transformations that I see often start with some critical event. Yeah. So it might be that their competitor is beating them in the market mm-hmm. because they aren't moving fast enough. Right. It might be that... Um, they've had a security breach. Yes. I mean, this is a really common yeah. one. That's a wake-up moment for a company. It'll snap it, you into well, because, action. Because what was the thing? We had a security <clears throat> breach. Okay, that's fine. Let's fix it. Oh, it's going to take us six weeks to fix it right. because we can't roll out this change. Because we're not because built accordingly. We aren't built for it. Yeah. So, so 
what the management have to do is look at that and say, well, what would a company look like that could respond to that? Yeah. And then go through that process. Okay. And then continue with that sort of North Star approach yeah. of saying, this is where we need to get to and why. Yeah. Because what you're going to do is start changing the company okay. in many ways. Yeah. And it's going to be messy. Transformation is always messy. Yep. And everybody will focus on the mess. Yeah. And they'll forget why they started it. And it's only when that initial moment is big enough. It might be we're a retailer and everybody's moved to Amazon or we've had a security breach. It has to be so big that it doesn't leave people's minds. It stays forefront. For that six, nine, 12 month period for these practices to get embedded. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that, you know, it's much better to do the change before that happens, yeah. then it's an extra responsibility on you as a leader to communicate why yes. and over communicate and keep communicating. This is what we're going to look like in the end. And this is why. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is, is not the reason it's what will get us there. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's excellent. Thank you. So if people wanted to, uh, find you, look you up, uh, find out about Chef. Where, where where should they go? Where should they come check out our website? Okay. It's Chef C H E F. We're not cooking. Okay, um, but uh, um, yeah. Okay, are you on LinkedIn, Twitter? I'm on as well? LinkedIn and Twitter okay. as well. Awesome, great. Thank you for your time. This Thanks. was a great conversation, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill.